may be seated. And we welcome you here to our annual Good Friday service. So glad to have many guests and visitors. We welcome you warmly and trust that this service will be a blessing to your heart. The Old Testament portion of Scripture that we read, that Pastor Keith just read, Isaiah 53, predicting the sufferings of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before it ever happened. Now we turn to the New Testament, to the Gospels that actually give us the account of that suffering, and I'm reading this morning from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Now the chief priests had accused him of many things, so Pilate asked again, Aren't you going to give a defense? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the Passover feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So Pilate asked, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release the murderer, Barabbas, instead. What shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. But why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! And then we notice on the screen this verse from verse 15, chapter 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over on Good Friday to be crucified. Verse 15 gives us some of the motive behind Pilate's final decision. But a little knowledge of history helps us to understand the difficult position that he was in. Pilate was a man who came from a very prominent family. Uh, he was of the family of the Ponti, noble blood, royal birth. He was indeed aristocracy. But somewhere along the line, Pilate, whose picture is on the screen, you maybe have never seen a real picture of Pilate, but this is it. <laughs> somewhere along the line, his family was demoted and shamed. They lost their elite position. Lost status can make men go crazy. And my guess is, obsessed with one great goal and a desire to reclaim their position in society, Pilate did everything he could to improve himself, to prove himself and regain his status. Somehow they rose again to prominence. History, history tells us that Pilate once again was brought into Roman favor and even admitted to the elite fraternity 
of imperial advisors to Caesar himself, the Amici Caesarius, a group of uh, individuals upon whom the emperor would lean upon. He could only hold this position, though, if he proved himself as a worthy, loyal leader to Caesar and to Rome. So he is asked to take, not asked, Rome never asked, they sent him to take the governorship in Judea, which was like the worst position in the world, if you were going to be a leader in the Roman government. No one wanted to go there. It was a place that was constantly fighting. Imagine that. It was an area where Rome had a difficult time controlling all that went on without a bloodbath. And because of that, they did not have the favor of the people living there. The governorship was the most taxing position. So Pilate goes. He actually is living in Caesarea on the sea. It's a beautiful uh, city that you can still see the ruins of today. And he has to travel inland to the city of Jerusalem because in Judea, where he is going to be governor, there is... Passover feast. Millions of people, at least a quarter of a million people, are going to be coming into the city. Pilate would rather stay in one of, one of Herod's empty palaces with a sea view and sea breezes, but he's got to go inland. He can't rule Judea from the sea during the Passover, and so in he goes. An interesting historical note is that many people for many years didn't even believe that Pilate existed until 1961, and this stone that you see on the screen was discovered in Caesarea, where Pilate had his headquarters. It simply has his name on this plaque, along with a larger dedication to Tiberius Caesar. It simply says that Pontius Pilate is the perfect the governor ruling in Judea. And this stone can be seen in the Israeli museum even today. And so it is true that Pilate existed and the scriptures are again uh, vindicated. But Pilate had to be loyal and had to prove himself worthy, and unfortunately he is going to drop the ball. By the way, the character of, the, of Pilate himself is rather cruel, selfish, ambitious, doing all he can, again, to improve his status. He was malicious and heavy-handed. Pilate was so bad that the scriptures actually make him look good. And what we think of when we read the scriptures concerning Pilate isn't all that great. When he gets to Judea before Passover, he has three tests, and he almost fails all of them. At first, he marches the troops, the Roman troops, into Jerusalem with medallions that carry the emperor's image right into the city and right into the temple. That provoked the Jews because it was a violation of their law. No graven images. That's part of the Ten Commandments. So there was a five-day protest throughout the city, all kinds of bloodshed, and Pilate finally gave in. Then he built an aqueduct a cistern, uh, from a cistern in Bethlehem to improve Jerusalem's water supply, but instead of paying it out of Roman funds, he took temple funds 
money from the Jewish temple to pay for the aqueduct. Another riot. Pilate cautioned his troops not to shed blood, but they couldn't hold peace without doing so. And again, Pilate was shamed. A third time, Pilate set up golden shields throughout the city of Jerusalem. On these were images of Tiberias. Again, another graven image in the holy city. The Jews were upset. The people protested. Pilate this time dug in his heels and said, I'm not budging. This is the way it's going to be. The people protested to Herod, who took a formal protest to Caesar. And a testy letter came back from the emperor to Pilate. Transfer the shields to Caesarea at once. I strongly warn you to uphold all religious and political customs of your Jewish subjects. <laughs> and so shamed and belittled, Pilate did what he was supposed to do. That was five months before Good Friday. Maybe hiding in his home in Caesarea, now forced to go to the Passover, he hates the Jews and the Jews hate him. But he's in He's in a difficult place between a rock and a hard place. He, he knows that if he doesn't favor the Jews, he's going to lose favor with Rome. And so early one morning, in the midst of Passover or just before, Jesus is brought in. Actually, just after Passover, Jesus is brought in to Pilate. Early Good Friday. Basically, Rome's last message to Pilate was this. Get it right this time or else. <laughs> and that's the background to Pilate's vacillation. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. He didn't like the crowd. But he had to satisfy them or else he would lose his job. So he did his best to avoid a decision. There are at least five distinct times in the Gospels where Pilate tried not to make a decision. Number one, this isn't our jurisdiction. It's your jur jurisdiction. It's your rule. You take care of him. But that didn't work. He sent him to Herod. Herod said, no, you take care of it. And he came back, really, with the same declaration that this man is innocent. Pilate agreed that there was no reason, according to Roman law, that he could justly execute this man. Yet the crowd demanded that he has, that he would kill him. Pilate said on a number of occasions, I find no fault in him. I find him to be innocent. And then there was the dream of his wife. Matthew 27 tells us in verse 19 that Pilate's wife came to him. Next slide. And she said to him, have nothing to do with this innocent guy. Pilate's wife came from aristocracy and maybe had even more control of him than Rome. So here he is, not knowing what to do, seeing that from every vantage point this man is innocent, but he has to placate the people. And so the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 23 and verse 20, that he knew that if he wanted to release Jesus, he somehow had to get the crowd to agree. 
And he appealed at least five times. And that's when they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Many of the same people who said on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, you're our king, said on Good Friday, crucify him. He's not our king. So here's Pilate's dilemma. What is he going to do? How is he going to respond? Wanting to satisfy the crowd, yet wanting to release Jesus. That's where he is, between the proverbial rock and a hard place. But we read in John's Gospel, chapter 19, that the people said to him finally, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And that's the straw that broke the camel's back. And Pilate had to decide over position or justice. And he gave up the Savior. Now, on the one hand, you could say that Jesus ultimately was crucified because of politics. And a vain man filled with himself wanting to reclaim position and status. And you would be right humanly speaking. But on the other hand, as we notice from Isaiah chapter 53, the death of Jesus was predicted before the foundations of the world. In the New Testament book of Acts, we read that wicked hands, selfish, sinful hands of people with their own motives took Jesus and killed Jesus. That's both religious authorities and civil Roman authorities. He was killed by wicked hands, yet all of this was planned by the sovereign purpose of God before the world's ever began. And there's no contradiction in either one. So what was the real motive then for Jesus dying on the cross? Not because he was a pawn of Rome. Not because he was the victim of a weak, vacillating governor. He died on the cross because he came to give his life as a ransom for your sin and mine. He came because of love, Romans chapter 5 tells us. And the greatest verse, I think, in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world, he sent his son there's this divine motive of love behind it all. But there's also the willingness of Christ to lay down his life. No one takes my life, he says in John 10. I willingly give it up. And so he dies on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Here in is love. It doesn't get any better than this. No greater love can anyone have for someone else than to give up their life for them. And that's what Jesus did for you on Good Friday. He died on the cross because God's a holy God and he cannot endure sin. And we have rebelled against him and we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. So Jesus dies to pay the price that our sins deserve. It had to be God dying on the cross because an infinite sacrifice had to be given up for the infinite penalty that we had incurred. It had to be a holy sacrifice to satisfy the perfectly holy God. And Jesus does it all. When he dies on the cross, he pays an infinite price for our sin and buys us eternal life that is for all. 
who put their faith and trust in him. And that's how we can call this Good Friday. So it wasn't the weakness of man that sent Christ to the cross. It was the love of God. In one sense, we could blame Pilate. In another sense, we could blame Judas. In another another sense, we could blame the religious leaders or the Roman authorities, or we could even blame ourselves, right? But out of love, Jesus goes to the cross. So once again, Pilate's dilemma, wanting to satisfy the crowd and wanting to release the Son of God. Pilate had to choose which king he would serve. And so do you. Some of you have rejected Jesus Christ even though you know that he's righteous, even though you sense he's the son of God, that he's perfect and just and good and loving, but you reject him. You say, I will not have that man lead my life. You reject him as king. You reject him as Lord. You reject him as savior simply because you want to please the crowd around you. It's peer pressure. You don't want people laughing at you. You don't want people at work to think you're an ignoramus. You don't want people to think you're just a goody person, just righteous, a prude. No, those are horrible, horrible names to endure, monikers that no person would ever want to take to themselves, and you'll willingly give those up. You'll willingly avoid those and give up the Savior to please the crowd. Some of you want to look religious, and you do as much as you can to appear to be so, but in your heart you have turned away from your Savior who pleads, believe in me. Pilate had to choose, and so do you. It's interesting that history doesn't tell us exactly what Pilate did. I mean, we know what he did in giving Jesus up, Some historians say that Pilate was removed from office. That appears indeed to be true. But they say that then he was so disgraced because he was not loyal to Rome and could not control the Jews that he committed suicide. Others say he was demoted, but then under the conviction of what he had done, repented and believed in Christ and actually is a saint today in the Coptic Egyptian church. Saint Pilate. I do know this, he's famous. He's famous for the death of Christ. He's famous because he's the only one mentioned other than the Lord in the Nicene Creed when it says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know, sometimes it's not so good to be famous. But you and I have to make a decision, and I don't know what decision you've made, but God does. Who is your king? Good Friday is all about seeing the love of God and the sacrifice of God to appease the wrath of God so that we might be redeemed 
And for all who trust Christ as Savior, Jesus becomes king because you cannot take him for half of who he is. And when you trust Christ, you trust him as Lord and Savior or you do not trust him at all. And so the message this Good Friday is simply this. Behold the love of God for you on the cross and have you made him king. Are you vacillating like Pilate? Or will you bow the knee and say, like the centurion, another Roman soldier, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Surely this man who died on the cross is the Son of God. The facts are overpowering. The evidence, strong. And yet still by faith, we must receive when we believe. We must enthrone when we trust Christ. We cannot just look for someone to take away our sin and then live any way we want to. Real salvation is forgiveness and change of heart. Real conversion is repentance and a new way to live. Lord, soon, this, this afternoon, we're going to be taking the elements of the communion service which depict your broken body and shed blood, a reminder of what happened on the cross. And in taking these elements, we declare that you are our Savior and King. Renew our commitment this day and help us by your grace to live like it. For love so compelling, so divine, demands my life and my all. Amen.